It's always appropriate to have a song talking about a fool and me walking out. So let's all stand up. A couple weeks ago, I stood up, I came up here and we started our service with a song. You know, the I'm in the Lord's Army, you guys were doing really good. Now here's the thing, we're going to crank this up a little bit. And if you know the lyrics, first service was horrible at this. But here's the theme, but you're going to know it by the song. So I'm going to have my friend Sky up there crank it up. And let's see some dancing and stuff because this is going to help you. Ready? Let's do this. Come on. I mean, what would worship be like that? That would be awesome. Go ahead and sit down. So today we're talking about families. Now, I've been on this kind of journey the last week and a half. I've been in Idaho doing a wedding. I was at a wedding last night that was a circus. It was amazing. But here's the thing about weddings, and here's what happens. After the wedding happens and after they they do all these things and, and they dance and stuff, one of the first two songs, anybody know the first song they play? Celebration, right? And everybody gets on the dance floor and they sing, celebrate. And then the second part is we are family. And you know what happens? At that moment, the family really starts to come together. They've eaten food. They might, they might know each other. They might not know each other. But that's when the family really starts. And that's the interesting thing about family. Do you realize that family starts with two individual people not in the same bloodline, which is good. <laughs> Unless you're from Kentucky, welcome. We already have you here. Our family bloodlines are not to be the same. And these two people come together from different walks, different places, different upbringings, maybe even the same church. But they come together and they start to spend time with each other. And they start to grow in a relationship. And over time, they say the L word, not loser, but I love you. And with that love, they start to grow in that relationship. And over all the time, the trials, the tribulation, the tears, the joy, they really become a family. And then in the middle of a man and woman, something happens. I'm not going to explain the birds and bees today for you guys. But then all of a sudden, a child comes out. And in the same breath, though that child is now part of our own bloodline, they're really kids aren't really easy. Right? I mean, think about it. Like, at 25, there's still a pain in the butt, right? But at two, at one, at six, at eight, it's not easy, but you love them over time because you've put so much energy and you've grown to love them. No matter if they're part of your bloodline, if they're foster kids, you adopted them, whatever, you love somebody because they become part of who you are. And you share that DNA, you share that life, and they don't even have to be your bloodline, and they start acting and living like you. Trust me, I see that in my girls. Today we're talking about church as a family. And you know that happens in church as well? You know that you can start having people closer than ever through the church family? Church family is about living life together. 
It's about sharing life, not only on Sundays and if you come to Wednesdays, but it's outside of that too. Monday through Saturday, going out and finding other people in church so that you can grow closer to God and grow closer to other people. And we do that over time, and our life with the church family means everything. We've gone through this series called Church Clarified, and Jeremy put this together during the summer. And what we're trying to do is put a microscope on the church from what the Bible says. The Bible has all kinds of interesting things to talk about. And if you're looking or you're lost or you're disconnected and you don't know where to go, what we do as Christians is we open it up. And sometimes people go, okay, Lord, speak to me. And then you're in Leviticus, and you're like, oh, my gosh. I got to sacrifice bulls and cows or something. But it's almost better just to start in a book in, in the New Testament if you're not really a good reader and you open it up and use it to grow you. And here's what we see in the church. The, the church in the Bible has many different images that we've walked through. Church is a bride, right? That we're to love the church. Church is to be a city on the hill and we are to be a light of the world. We need to learn to be a light of the world. Church is an army. We sing, I'm in the Lord's army. Everybody loved it. Good hand movements. But we need to learn that there we got to fight. A couple weeks ago, I talked about church being a hospital and last week I wasn't here. I was in Idaho, but I see, I heard Jeremy about a date that wasn't his wife, but a little Skeletor type person. And it talked about church being a body and having multiple parts. And today we're going to talk about being a family. And next week we're going to talk about being a flock. The whole point of this is to realize that the church needs to be all of these, not one of these. It needs to be a moment where you can bring people into a hospital. It, bring, it needs to be a moment where we're all together fighting uh, the, the, the enemy. It needs to be a place where we can learn to be a light in the, uh, on the hill. It needs to be a place that we can learn to love and love the bride. And that's important to us, and that's what we need to understand, and that's why we're clarifying the church. Our, men, our memory verse, Jeremy put together, shows us what the church is supposed to be. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. It says, he, being God, put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things that be Christ for the benefit of the church, one translation says, which is his body, Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. That's his job. Christ comes into our life and he fills us up and he makes us, uh, he makes the church whole. I was at a, a wedding yesterday and they're like, oh, so you're the senior pastor at the church. I'm like, first of all, don't call me a senior at all. <laughs> Second of all, the lead pastor of our church, I don't know if you guys know this, his name's Jesus Christ. Yeah, he is in charge. He's leading. If you look at the website, he is our senior pastor. And all the churches, not that they, they don't believe that, but we make sure that that's a part of who we are. And we want that. We want you to understand that. So if you're new, a special welcome. We love having new people. Uh, a long time ago, God gave us a mission of loving people in our backyard. And my buddy Eric, you guys see Eric up here? Uh, awesome guy. Love Eric. <laughs> Eric was there at the beginning of the church. He was the first baptism we made in the church, but he's been a mentor and a part of our family life for a long time. And then he moved up to Northern California uh, and uh, is up there worshiping in a church. It's always good to have him back and be a part of the church. He was the original worship leader at Journey, which was awesome. So we're grateful to have him part of the church. Today we're talking about church as a family. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody have an awesome family? Anybody have a horrible family? She's right there, bro. <laughs> you you, you want to meet tomorrow? <laughs> I have an awesome family. I turned 50 this year. I know I don't look it. I look like 49, but here's my family. 
You know, and, and, and really, my family is awesome, just like many of you. And some of you don't have a good family, and that's okay. The, the, and, and I think the message will speak into that. But here's the thing about my family. I have great family at this church. My mom and my dad are here. My sister is a powerful warrior in this church. And my brothers, and, and all of that's good. And I have a great extended family, sisters-in-laws and brothers and cousins and nieces and all that stuff. And the, my family's good. I even have a father-in-law that still uh, wants to be here, which is amazing. Yeah. But here's the thing. You know what? I have even close, some people that are even closer that are from the church that aren't part of my bloodline that you have lunch with and coffee and you almost spend more time with. There's people here that I've been on vacation with, I've gone to Israel with. There's people here that I, I've, uh, I've shared life with. I've been at the hospital. They came to see me. I come and see them. There's people at our church that's even tighter than some of my family. Some of my family's in Hawaii and Elsinore and other parts of the world, Florida. And we can't be as close, so the church family kind of fills that up. And that's what we're going to talk about about today is church as a family. Here's a quote I found online. Didn't have an author, but I'm sure somebody wrote it. It says, church is not a place. Too often we think of it as a building, and our church is moving at some point. Are you guys praying? Please, because we have no idea where we're going. But we're going to shock the world as we do move that. So you guys know that, right? Yeah. We're going to shock the world by God. He's going to move us into a place, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to transform and change this community. It says, church is not a place. It's a body with family blood ties through Jesus Christ. We aren't the same. Most of us have lived in different parts of the world, different places in life, but we come together on Sunday having different philosophies, different doctrine, and different things, but we come, and we kind of put that aside. We put our ego where most of us put our ego outside, and we walk in and try and hear the voice of God. And that's what church really is. And we're going to talk about that today. So here's some questions. I don't know if I'm going to answer all of them. I'm not really trying to answer. But I want you to ponder some questions. What are the benefits of having a church family? What are the benefits? And you need to realize that. And, and if this isn't the right place, we're not asking you to leave. But you need to go find a place that you can be, uh, feel the benefit. And some people leave, and that's okay. Because they found a better benefit at a place that might fill the needs that they have. What is the benefit of having a church family? Who are called to be in the church family? I think we'll answer this one at the end of our text in Mark. And what are you, everybody say you, but really mean me, me. Yeah, what am I going to do to make the church family grow? And it's not just through money and inviting people, which is part of the church but it's really like, what are you going to do to make this place grow and become, uh, become a great place for people, other people to have family? Today we're going to ask the question, we're going to clarify what the Bible says about the true family of Jesus. What does the Bible say about it? And what does Jesus preach in Mark chapter 3? We're going to talk a little bit about Mark. We're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to talk in just a minute. We're going to stand up and read from the gospel as we always do. But Mark is the gospel of the suffering son of God. And I don't know if you guys know this, so I want you to hear this. Each gospel has a specific vision. Matthew is Christ as king. So if you write that down, Matthew is Christ as king. Mark is Christ as a servant. Luke is Christ or Jesus as the actual man, son of man. And John is God. Jesus is God. And we see that in the beginning. He was with the word and was the word. And so those are the four things. And here we're seeing the suffering son of God communicate to us about the family of Jesus Christ. Interesting, if you look at the book of Mark as a whole, the 16 chapters, Mark views his disciples primarily negative, right? So he's looking at his disciples and he's like, 
when you're reading the disciples in Mark, they're, ignore, they're ignorant, uh, they're prideful, they're wavering faith. That's kind of what you see in the theme of the disciples. But Jesus, as he always does, he uses those moments to kind of show us true discipleship. So that's kind of what we see as an overview of Mark. And at this point in Mark chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 20 all the way to the end, 35. We're going to stay in the text and do what we call topical expository. We have a topic, church is a family. But we're going to go verse by verse and explain it. And there's really four points to the message. Hopefully I'll point them out to you through that process and then we have some takeaway. Jesus is commanding big crowds. He's speaking and all of a sudden crowds are swelling like a political campaign. If he was a celebrity or a politician, he would be playing to the crowd and he would be saying stuff and they'd be going, yay Jesus, Jesus for president, Jesus for king. But you know what? In Mark, he's just a servant and the truth is he's not trying to run for president or king He's trying to challenge people on their faith and their walk with Jesus Christ. In our text today, he's going to challenge us to what is our real family? What does our family mean? A lot of us have this one mindset, but you might be shocked by what Jesus says by this. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and be challenged by God today. Mark chapter 3 verse 20 says this. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he, isn't, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Now, I want to stop there for a second. When I first became a pastor in ministry over 13 years ago, going on my 14th year, I had no idea what this job was about, and I really struggled to kind of put it into context. And I could work morning, noon, and night. I was getting up at 6 and getting back at home at 11, 11.30. It's not really good for a family, so you need to find balance. And here you see that, and that's going to kind of explain a little bit what it's, uh, a little bit why his family's kind of concerned. And here's what it says. When, he, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they say. So let's kind of pray. Let's sit on that for a second and pray. Here's the thing. I'm just a man. I have sin. I have flaws. I'm working hard to become a better man of God. But the only way that God can speak is if you invite a man like Jeremy was challenge us. Invite that presence in. Let the Holy Spirit kind of rest deep and, and go, Lord, speak to me today. So let's pray that that will happen. Father, Lord, use my mouth and my vocal cords and my heart. Lord, I ask that you route out anything that is stupid and not of you. I ask that you bring clarity and understanding, that you will use the text, that you will point out things that we need to know, Lord. Make us closer to you for who you are because of your word. We love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said amen. Go ahead and be seated. Anybody ever seen this movie called Intervention? Or movie, it's a TV show, A&E. Really awesome show. Uh, I've, I've watched it a lot. And the truth is, it's what's happened when you have somebody in a family that's kind of out of control. And they sit at this table, they sit, or they sit at the couch, and they're like, hey, we love you, but here's what's going on. This is how you make me feel. Jesus' family is having an intervention. They're like, this guy's crazy. Now think about this for a second. We kind of think, well, his family's rude. He's the Messiah. But they didn't really understand it. Maybe Mary did a little bit. But think about it. Your kid goes out into the world and starts saying, I'm the son of God. And starts doing things that nobody's ever else, nobody's done before. It would be a little shocking. At some point, I'm grateful when my kids grow and, and start to do wonderful things for the gospel. When they start calling themselves God and son of God, we got a problem. And we're going to lock them up into uh, the Channel Island school that used to be a hospital, right? If you're from the school, welcome. <laughs> so it makes sense. But here's the thing. His family didn't really believe in him. 
Let's talk a little bit about that. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it shows that Jesus' brothers didn't really believe. And I just read this so that in context that you can see what's happening. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, which is one of the important festivals that the Jewish celebrate. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. They're kind of... Kind of mocking him a little bit. You'll see that. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And then in John chapter 5, which is a struggle for people that have been raised in maybe a different faith base, it says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Now, if you were like me, I was raised Catholic. We didn't believe in his brothers. We didn't believe that he had family. We wanted to kind of keep that separate. But here it shows us that A, he has brothers. B, that his actual brothers didn't f- believe in him. And, and, and really you're seeing that Mary's kind of out there too, wondering what's going on with his son. And we'll dig into that a little bit later. Jesus, is, is Jesus and his mothers and brothers didn't understand all that was happening. In, in, in the Gospel of Mark, it just kind of comes on the scene. It's an action-adventure book. It's 16 chapters, and he goes right into miracles. It doesn't have all the birth narrative and how he got to that place. It just gets into right into the miracles, and it kind of shows that everybody really doesn't understand in his family what's going on. They think he's crazy, but they never give up. They continue to listen, and they continue over time to change. We'll see Mary at the cross, and I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus' brother James didn't believe until after the resurrection, but... At some point, he becomes the lead pastor or one of the speaking pastors of the big church in Jerusalem. So he ultimately has a life transformation through his brother Jesus. Now, Jesus is in this house. He's preaching a message. He's surrounded by large crowds. His family's outside, and they're texting him, hey, come out. And we'll see that a little bit later in the, in the text. But Jesus remains inside, and maybe he's doing it because he's trying to protect himself. His family want to lock him up and put him in a white jacket and say, hey, we're going to put you at Hillmont or something. But he's out there saying, you know what? I'm going to do something that he always does. He's going to use this radical occasion to teach us a submersive, submersive message. A subversive message means rebellious or revolutionary. He's going to teach. A lot of times we read the text and we have to look at a meaning that's really radical and revolutionary. And that's what we see here with Jesus. He's going to use this to help us understand what it means to be in the family of Christ. Let's continue, verse 22. But the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. Where does he get this power to cast out demons? So... Here's what's happening. you got church leaders now watching the family, and the family are, are saying he's crazy. Now they're saying he's crazy. He must be Satan. He must be filled with Satan. He must have something against God. And so now everybody's pouring upon. Now Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus called them over and responded to them with an illustration. You know, like we did, we are family. That was an illustration of what kind of church we're supposed to be. Jesus also teaches in illustrations and images to help us understand. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He will never survive. And then he gives us another illustration. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and plunder his house. 
We're going to talk about the divide in just a second. But what Jesus is saying in this last illustration is like Satan can't fight against Satan. It's the same power going at each other. The only person that can beat Satan is one that's a stronger man that has more power that can bind him up and beat him up. Who wants to beat up Satan today? Yeah, amen. Me too. So the first point of today's message is a house cannot be divided. Jesus is communicating here, and he's teaching about a family. Now, if anybody's ever married a non-Christian, it's not easy. If anybody's dating a non-Christian, it sounds okay at the beginning. Oh, they'll just find Jesus, and it'll be great. We call that missionary dating. Rarely works, but occasionally it does. But when you have a house divided, it's a struggle. My parents, uh, my mom met Christ uh, it, when they first moved to Somas. And then several years later, and it was a long time, my dad kind of followed. And he was kind of what we call a stick in the mud. Everybody say, Jim's a stick in the mud. He's right over there. That's good teaching right there. And honestly... He sat and watched my mom. He sat and watched me and my sister and all the activity was going on. And finally, he submitted to God and the house was divided. But over time, God can overcome that. You can't live in a house that's divided. We at this church, we are a family. We already sang it. We focus on Jesus Christ. That's what our family's about. Now, here's the thing. I struggle with a lot of things, and I sometimes upset people because I'm not one that's going to teach doctrine because everybody here comes from different places. Some are reformists. Some are Presbyterian. Some are charismatic. Some come from Catholicism. People come from different walks. The point is we come together and celebrate Jesus, and over time, we start to be unified through the same spirit, through the same Christ that transforms and changes us. We also don't come here to kind of cast stones on the worship. I like hymns. Good. So do we. We play them every once in a while. I like rock and roll. I like bands. We got two drummers today. Awesome. But sometimes we struggle with the worship. We're not here for the worship. We're here to offer our worship no matter how good or bad or how, fits, how much it fits your soul. We can't be divided on this stuff. It's not about teaching today. We're teaching expository through a topic. Some people just go verse by verse. Some people go from a topic. It doesn't matter. Jesus wants to be lifted up no matter what and can be lifted up. We can't be divided. And here's the sneakiest thing that Satan has done, and we forget about it. We don't think about it until someone says it. What is the denomination? It's Satan's tool to separate the churches. Even though we believe in the same Jesus with the same spirit, with all the same things, we believe in the same Bible. We have denominations dividing us, and Satan's going, these suckers don't even realize it's the same God. I've got them so tricked. And it's separating our church. What would it be like if we were all together? And sharing people, sharing finances, and really doing the kingdom work. Man, it would be beautiful. But we're so afraid. Satan's got us right where he wants us. We can't, point one, be a house that's divided. Here's the second point. Verse 28, it says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can't be forgiven. Everybody say all sin. sin. Shout it out, all sin. All sin sin can be forgiven. forgiven. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are awake. These guys are sinners. (laughs) Here's what it's saying. Here's point two. All sin can be forgiven. Your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter aren't saying that. The way that you treat people out in this world is not saying that. But Jesus says that. These are red letters that said all sin can be forgiven. 
But we don't like it. We want to cast stones to people that don't even believe like we are. Why would you think a non-believer would think like a Christian? He doesn't, she won't, and they can because they don't know the gospel. So when you're throwing stones about uh, abortion and, and, and uh, homosexuality and murder and rape and all the sins that we don't like, what are you saying? Really, we're Christians, we're better, we're hypocrites, but all sin's not forgiven because I don't like these. And trust me, I don't like them either. But why would I think that a non-Christian would believe like a Christian? Makes zero sense. Shut up. That's from God. Please come back next week. Second point, all sin can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Ding, 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 underline, highlight, that's important. That will separate you and it has eternal consequences. All the other sins can be forgiven. And he told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. He is, they're saying the spirit that he's worshiping and healing is evil. And he says, don't do that. That's going to have eternal consequences if you call my spirit, the one spirit, evil. Now we see in verse 33 to 35, the true family of Jesus Christ. It's by his blood and it's by his sacrifice that we are his body. And here's what he's going to say. It says, then verse 31, Jesus and his mother came to see him. They stood outside and sent a word. Today, let me explain it to you. It was a text. You know how like my, my wife and me will be downstairs. Shelby, can you come downstairs and do the dishes? We we're too lazy to go upstairs. They're doing the same thing. They're sending a text here. This is a social historical text. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk to them. And then there was, a, uh, there was a crowd sitting around Jesus. And someone said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside uh, asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, these are, these are my mother and brothers. So here he kind of is redefining what we believe our family is. And let's ask that question. There's some tension here that we need to understand. Is Jesus rejecting his own mother and his family, saying they're not that important? A lot of times we see that there's some tension here, and some people are like, yes, but the, the, the theologians and the people that have been studying it says he's not rejecting it. As he's doing, he's teaching this, this subversive message, this revolutionary concept about family. And he's using this moment, though he sometimes is, it seems like he's rejecting his family. You know what I do to my family when I'm up here? Friends and family ask him. They're like, oh, he always cracks jokes at us. And that's uh, not really teaching a lesson, just making me look better than them. So I usually crack jokes. He's not doing that. He's actually trying to teach us a lesson about a greater family that, that we can be a part of. It's really interesting. The tension seems to say that Jesus doesn't believe in family values, but we all know that that's not true. Jesus loves the family. He wants your family to succeed. He wants your family unit to be a, a light on the hill that Jeremy taught about. But he wants you to focus on yourself first so that your family can then follow, right? When you're in the airport, you put the oxygen mask on first. The only way that you can be a blessing to your family is that you have the mask on and you're inhaling the Holy Spirit and living out the glory of God. And then you can then be a blessing to your other family. Does that make sense? Thank you. They didn't get that in first service because you're a little bit more alive. See, that's what happens. 
Now, it seems like Jesus knows that in 2019 that the family structure is going to be frayed and, and struggling. Can you guys agree with that? As we are getting farther and farther of the day that Jesus resurrected and closer to the day that he's returning, our family has fallen apart. The Bible tells us, I think it's in Matthew 25, where it says, Jesus is going to return when the world turns out to be like the days of Noah, right? That's what it says. It says in the text, it says, when Jesus returns, it's going to be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah like? Well, they were, everybody was having sex with everything and everybody. Angels were having sex with humans. It was crazy. And the world was just full of sin and nobody was really following the law of God. Nobody was really following the will of God. There was only Noah and his family. And so he saved them and he flooded the earth. And it says the world is going to be like that when we get back, when Jesus comes back. So he's kind of predicting what's happening where we are struggling as a family. And he's telling us something and hopefully you catch it. You know that... Jesus, if you type in Jesus in Google today, if you just type it in, you'll get the first image you'll get. It's like this 1958 picture of Jesus holding this cute little lamb. Oh, that's not the Jesus I believe in. Jesus comes and he fights for me regularly. Jesus comes in and it says, I'm not here to bring peace. I'm here to bring a sword. And when he brings the sword, there's separation. Some of your families, when the rapture comes, others are going to be sitting at the table going, where'd they go? Because they're going to miss out. Because Jesus comes to divide. He's not here to bring peace necessarily. Especially in your family. He's like, come on, get a hold of yourself. Get in right with God or you're going to miss out. And you're going to miss out when we all leave. Here's what it says, Luke 12, 53. Father will be divided against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against the world. That was uh, the Japanese translation. <laughs> mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There's going to be a separation. How, why, why don't we believe that? Why don't we believe that? We, we need to understand that. My thing is, we sit at the table. I see my wife, and she's discipling people so that our table knows whatever we believe, and we might believe. My family sometimes believes a little bit differently than I do. Praise God. If you don't agree with me week in and week out, that's a good thing. It's okay to disagree with me on some doctrinal moment or something. If you're not doing that once a, uh, once a month, you're not reading your Bible because we read it differently. Me and my wife were in Idaho having this huge debate about the gospel, and it was fun. One of us won, but it was uh... a... <laughs> if you didn't see it, my wife raised her hand like I was the victory, which is true, but hey, we can't. <laughs> There's a moment where this rich young ruler comes in, and he's asking Jesus, how do I be a perfect Christian? How do I follow you and do everything? And here we see Jesus kind of talk about some of the things. Here's what it says. Jesus replied, you must not murder, even though it can be forgiven. You must not commit adultery, even though it can be forgiven. You must not steal, it can be forgiven. You must not testify falsely, but it can be forgiven. But then he starts talking, but honor your mother and father. That means he loves the family unit. Kids, honor your mother and father. I don't care how old they are or how young they are. 
We are to honor him. He wants that to be a part of our life. He's not, dis, he's not discarding the family. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. In this gospel story, Mark brings us this revelation. And this is the third point. The first point is we can't be divided. All sin can be forgiven, number two. And here, Jesus is saying the, the, a real family of, of the living God is somebody that's in an intimate relationship with God. That's what real family is. When I live time with my family, with my kids and with my wife and my father-in-law, my mother and my dad and my sister, we get this intimate relationship and we know when they're cranky. When my mom hasn't eaten, somebody get her a donut or something because it could get ugly. But it's the only reason why I know that is I've experienced it before, you know. And we, we all run to a, get him a burger and fries to get her into it. But that's because we love her and we know her body and we know her. That's intimacy. And we need to get that with Jesus Christ to make us whole and correct. Does that make sense? Here's the last verse it says in verse 35. And, and this is what you need to highlight and circle. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus is now saying, listen, church, we are family. We sang this song. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. We're all family because we are tied together with the blood of Jesus Christ. What his, yeah, amen. His broken body, his blood that fell on the ground, that makes us right. So whatever we came from, Wherever you were raised, either away from God or for God, as Christian, not a Christian, at the, at the end of the day when we come together, we are all rallying around Jesus. And we learn to get closer to him and all that other stuff will work itself out. Does that make sense? You know, as Christians, as a family, our job, especially as pastors, our job is to kind of build you up. And I want to give you some characters and qualities to help widen our relationship. Here's what we're supposed to teach you. Teach you how to trust, uh, be affectionate, commit, loyal, faithful, kindness, thoughtfulness, compassion, mercy, helpfulness, encouragement, support, strength, and protection. All these are qualities that we need to give you as a church body so that we can be working, like Jeremy was talking about last week, with all these different parts working together. Everybody at the church has a responsibility and a job, right? Right? And that's what the church is supposed to give. And that's what we want as a church family. There's tension here when you have a, a, a Christ believer and a non-believer in a family. And you see that here. And Jesus is saying that's not unbridgeable. A lot of times people accept Jesus. And the gospel says in Acts, a, a family member, a woman or a husband or somebody would accept Jesus. And then it said then the whole body of the family would accept Jesus instantly. Or thereafter, right? And then they would all get baptized. That needs to happen in our life. But you've got to be a light on the world, like Jeremy spoke about, to really evangelize to your family. The way that my dad became a Christian is my mom served him like he was the king. Because he wanted to be the king. Right? And over time, her submissive behavior showed what Christ looks like. And finally, he gave in. And now he's one of the focal points of our church. Isn't that amazing? He's still a stick in the mud. Let's not act like that's changed. But uh, So what is, uh, oh, let's talk about Mary. Why is Mary's name not Mary? Does anybody ever think about that? Did you catch that? You know, Mary's an important figure in the gospel, right? Agreed? Yes. Yeah, she's important. But here, her name is mother of Jesus, right? And brother of Jesus. Is Mary kind of getting shunned here? Is she less than? That's not what it's saying. 
maybe Mary's doing the will of God here. And maybe she's just kind of in the background. Maybe her job is just to bring her, her, her children to hear their son, Jesus. And over time, watch them, their family change one by one. We know James becomes a senior pastor or a lead pastor of Jerusalem. Mary here is not really talked about as Mother Mary, you know, ver, uh, the, you know the, the, uh, the Immaculate Conception. She's just talked about as a woman here. But maybe she's right in the will of God. Do you guys realize sometimes the will of God looks weird? You know, if you're told to do something, it looks weird. It's awkward. She's doing something, and maybe it's just to bring her children to hear the Messiah. Because it says she knows what's going on. And at this point, she's helping her family understand Jesus. So what is the will of God? I'm running out of time, so let's talk about what is the will of God. I wish I knew. But I know the verse that will help us understand that. Our verse, we have a founding verse at this church. You guys have heard it many times if you've been here for a long time. But in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, I'm going to put it up on the screen and we're going to all read it together in just a second. This is what I say the will of God is. If you, have, uh, if you don't know the will of God, what you're supposed to do is put these Christ-like glasses on. And you see this text, and, and here's somebody asking, what really can I do to be right and whole with God? And so let's read it together. Ready? I'm dyslexic, so I'm going to shut my thing off so I don't jack you guys up. But we're going to read it together. Ready? Go. Love. As yourself. So when you look at this, and I put these glasses on, all of a sudden I'm to look at the world, and this is the will of God. Is this loving God, and is this loving others? If not, then I'm probably out of the will of God. It's kind of big, but it's pretty easy also. So here, what it says is, if I'm doing the will of God, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, and I'm a mother or a father in the, in the family because I'm doing the will of God. That was the fourth point of today's message. Boundaries of families expand beyond blood relatives, especially in Christianity. They're, they're deeper and they're wider. They're more than spouses. And we see that in this text. And the truth is, this was very comforting to the early Christians. Do you realize that when you became a Christian back in the first or second century, you lost everything? You lost your family business. You lost your family rights. They were like, we're Jewish. You can't be a Christian. You can no longer be a part of who we are. You're doing something a part of the will of God. They thought this was out of the will of God. A year, uh, a year ago, me and my sister were in Nepal, and we were on this one day, we were just evangelizing people in this mountain region. And this one guy, we were talking to him about Jesus, trying to hand him a, 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 a Jesus movie in his own dialect. And he's like, oh, no, I could never accept anything from Jesus. My grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-grandparents would be mad at me. And I'm like, no, they won't. They're dead. <laughs> and they're probably separated from God. And if they get a, get a message to you, they'd say... Except Jesus. But they were so worried about their family that they didn't allow themselves because they thought they were going to be discommunicated. We don't have that that much in our society today, but there's a little persecution. But this was very comforting. So let's kind of get some takeaway before we get some worship. Here's the four points. House can't be divided. All sin can be forgiven. Intimacy comes through Christ and it helps us build a family relationship. And the last one is those that do the will of God are brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's one of my favorite verses. I don't know if you guys know this. I love the church. 
And it's not because I preach. Honestly, I would love to sit in church and just and, and, and be ministered to. This week I was with our staff and I listened to seven or eight messages. It was awesome. I love just being filled. When I preach, I get emptied. And then I have to fill myself back up. But I love the church. And here's what it says about the church. And I want you to really let this sit into your, into your mind. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What's the purpose of the church? Our job is to motivate people around us to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together. Too often we neglect the importance of church in our life and how this family, we being a family, a church can help us and build us. You know what happens when death and, and divorce and, and sickness happens? Most people call the church. And if you're not connected, people won't know that you're sick. The church is important. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord is drawing near. Here's uh, three things. Family keeps you accountable. People walking with other people. I'll tell you this quick story. I got to do it quickly because, anyways, I was at a 50th birthday party uh, about four or five weeks ago, and it was at a, a pub. You know what? A pub's got alcohol and band and all this stuff. I don't drink. I've got 16 plus going on 17 years. I wasn't thinking for applause, but yay. And I went there and I was celebrating and we'd been there a couple hours and this guy shows up and he's hammered. Anybody know what hammered is? Really bad. And he starts offering me a drink. Hey, drink. No, 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 thanks. Hey, can you get a drink? No, no. Like six or seven times I'm like, man, this is some spiritual persecution. I haven't had this in a long time, I was thinking. And so he kind of wanders away and he comes back and, and he's like, are you guys Christian? And we're like, yeah. And the guy broke down. He's like, I knew I shouldn't have drank tonight. He's like, he felt so bad because all of a sudden he was there and then he found out it was a pastor and he just couldn't handle it and he walked away. The church keeps us accountable. And I hope that guy was so hung over the next morning and he crawled his butt into church on Sunday and, and repented and moved closer to Jesus because of that. The church keeps us accountable. Here's one of our points today is the family uh, accepts you no matter what. My mom has accepted me. My dad has accepted me even when I wasn't acceptable. My sister saw me, probably the only person in this place that saw me at my worst. And it wasn't pretty at all. But they accepted me. They loved me. John 3.16 says God so loved the world. He loved everybody. All are welcome. It's your job to choose, and it's your job to tell people to choose and bring them into the family. And number three is this. This is my favorite part is the family encourages you and make you stronger. I got people in this room that aren't my family, some up on stage, some up out here in first service, that they encourage me. They make me stronger. A couple weeks ago, actually three or four times in the last three months, people up here and out there have said, Jeff, are you okay? Things don't seem right with you. And pulled me aside and, and encouraged me that I, I can still do this. And God's working and shaping and molding me. And it was powerful. It's not easy. Right? I want to close with this story. There's this moment where Israel's in a battle. And they're fighting this, the Alekamites. And here's the thing. Moses goes out there and he says, I'm going to hold the staff up. Everybody put your arms up. And he's like, as long as his arms were up, they were winning the battle. And every time their arms kind of fell because they were tired... They started to lose. So they had to lift their hands up. And at one point, after, after a couple hours, he couldn't do it. So if you guys can do that for like four or five hours, see how that works. 
Here's what it says in Moses, uh, Exodus chapter uh, 17, 12. Moses' arms soon became tired. I can do it for about 12 seconds. And it's like, oh, my gosh. They soon became tired, and he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hand, and they held them steady until sunset. That's what the church is. We're a family. And there's moments when I see Gina holding up another woman's arms as they're going through the battle. There's a moment when I see Mace holding someone up and saying, this is going to, it's going to be okay. And we start to see victory. Here's the thing. We win at the end no matter what. Our job as the church is to hold each other up so that we can make it through the day. Victory is ours. We've got to believe it. We've got to live it out. We've got to walk from children to be brothers and sisters in the gospel. We need to learn the will of God and celebrate him. Let's just kind of bow our heads here. If you need strength today, will you just raise your hand? Father, we come before you today and we see people's hands going up and they need the strength from the family. And Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you grab them and make them whole and right with you. Father, I ask that you work boldly in their lives and that as they're lifting up their hand that they will receive the mercy and grace and the power that the gospel brings us. Lord, if there's someone here that's disconnected or doesn't know you or needs to be reconnected, we believe there's salvation here today, Lord. And if that's you today, will you repeat the sinner's prayer and become part of this amazing family, the kingdom of God? If that's you, just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and that you rose again. Help me understand that more. I ask that you anoint me with your Holy Spirit and teach me how to walk all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.